0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 153, I Just Need to Die for a Minute. This week we're discussing season 6, episode 1 of Buffy, Bargaining, part 1, and season 1, episode 8 of Battlestar Galactica, Flesh and Bone.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. After many moons of waiting, Buffy... I,
0: it was like one moon, but let's not over-exaggerate.
1: <laughs> a fortnight. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah. Well, I mean, we had it's... the recaps, right?
0: We had the recaps, had right? the the recaps, season recaps and, and then... We had two weeks of Angel, so yeah. a moon, after a moon of waiting.
1: <laughs> Felt like several. Um, <laughs> Buffy season six... Yeah. Finally. Woohoo. So yeah, you have a couple uh production mm-hmm. notes before we really get started.
0: Yeah. Um right. And so some of this, I mean, just sort of reminder, since it's been a moon since we <laughs> last uh last heard from our uh hero uh so basically, just a reminder, one is that, you know, this is the debut on uh, UPN. Um, and actually, so this this ended up being basically what happened um, in the commentary. Um, the the episode uh, was written. Um, oh, shoot. Now now I'm I'm blanking on the names uh, by Marty Knoxon and. Um, uh, uh, David Fury man i can't i can 't believe I like blanked on those names uh, for a minute there um, yeah so they they did sort of the co commentary on um the episodes here, and basically they had they had planned on this just being um, you know two separate episodes, like you know back when they were planning the episodes at the end of season five and whatever mm-hmm. um you know, they were planning on just being normal episodes, whatever. And then UPN said, okay, we really want to like launch this, you know, new show on our new night and time and new uh, channel and everything. And we want to make it sort of a two hour extravaganza. So they wrote it as a two hour show, you know, two hour episode, you know, basically a, you know, basically a little TV movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And actually on the um, DVDs, it, it, Uh, I think I misspoke last time because um, it's not that it's split in a different place than like Netflix splits it. It's that it's not split at all. They literally Mm -hmm. just have, you know, it's, it's listed. Like if you go to like Wikipedia, you'll see like bargaining part one and bargaining part two, but really it's just the one full episode of, you know, this, this story. Um, And they are like, you know, we say back-to-back, but I mean, it was really... I mean, there were commercial breaks and stuff, but it was right. just, you know, one episode all the way through. Right, it played so they, as, like,
1: a long episode.
0: So they had yeah. to, you know, sort of rework it, um, you know, to be that way. Uh Also, like, as part of this, um, this is the first episode where Joss was not involved in the production at all. Mm-hmm. Um And... Well, and I say not involved in the production. He was involved in, like, the story. You know, they pitch stories, and he approves them. And, and he had some input. There's actually one particular scene where they call out um, his his input um, in this first half, anyway, that we're talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he certainly had input early on. But um, basically at the end of season five, he said, okay, guys, I'm going away for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of like Buffy is yeah. going away for a while. And, um, I'm going off to write the musical episode, which will be episode seven, this mm-hmm. series. So the first several episodes, he actually didn't have any involved involvement with. Um, and Marty Knoxon um, sort of says, you know, there'd been times where like during an episode, he might be gone for a day or two, you know, a couple days at a time, but you know, an episode might take what, like a week to film or something, or, you know, five days or something to film normally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas this was like the first episode where they had to do everything without him. And so she was talking a little bit about how kind of her, you know, it kind of put her a little more on edge, a little more aware of like all this stuff. And mm-hmm. and also she is now showrunner mm-hmm. um, for Buffy. Uh, so, um, yeah, it just kind of becomes, uh, you know, something that... Um, you know, again, one of those things where, like, normally, especially in, like, the the um, beginning and end. Now, remember, I had, I had pointed out at the beginning of season five was also the first episode, Buffy versus Dracula, was written by Marty Noxon mm-hmm. as well. Right. Um, right. But he was still around, you know, it was still very much his thing, you know, with the introduction of Don and all of that. And then, of course, he came back and um, wrote uh, a couple episodes that season, including the finale Um, you know, he wrote family and the body and then, and then the finale. And then, um, you know, now we have, you know, another season that's not only written by someone else, but like, he's not even sort of involved in the, the day-to-day production at least of it. So we're getting a little more and kind of to that point. um, I do want to point out, there's actually a book of essays um, called when Buffy went dark, Mm -hmm. um, talking about specifically the last two seasons of Buffy. And so, you know, I don't, I, I think we'll, we might want to talk a little bit about it in this, you know, this episode and the next one, um, just, you know, sort of the tone and overall, you know, kind of thing. But I think there's some hints here, even of just kind of what, without spoilers, just of some of the, the themes and directions maybe we'll be going, even though we don't like even see Buffy <laughs> at <laughs> all, you know, in this first episode, well, yeah, at the very end, I guess. But, um, anyway, so, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah and i Sorry. i feel yeah.
1: like the the lack of Buffy feeds into that tone, you know, like her yeah you know the that the void and the story is felt, and for you know the for the audience and for the characters i think um and like i mean obviously the audience is waiting to see how she'll be brought back and what does that mean and you're kind of anxious about that and like maybe even like because of all all the things the changes you said like you know both like killing the character but also like behind the scenes like switching networks and Joss like starting to sort of move on to to do other things like I would imagine if I had been watching the show at the time and this is this would have like if, if I would have put this as a show I cared about a lot and was very invested in, I would be feeling slightly nervous about all of those changes, you know? And so I feel like that mm-hmm. adds into your your whole sense of like, just you're not sure what's going on and how are things going to get fixed? And is it going to be, you know, how, is it, how are we, we going to get back to what we think of as like, normal and the way things are supposed to be and all that right. um, and like as you, you were even talking like you know um, I wonder so, you know subconsciously or intentionally or whatever like you know Marty Knox in suddenly finding herself thrust into this position of leadership reminds me of Willow a little bit in this episode and kind of this feeling of well, gosh, the person who I've been l- relying on to tell me to lead me is now gone, and I have to sort of try to convince everyone that it's going to be okay. Follow me; we can figure this out, and everything. Sure. So it's like that thing of you—you know—occasionally, you you, know, you, you kind of see the writers writing into the show things that they're feeling, you know, kind of behind the scenes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, like in terms of, I mean, it's hard to say, like, does it feel, it's it's only one episode, so I think it's hard to talk about, does it feel darker than previous seasons, but more like lost in a way, in that sense of, okay, it's the whole first episode without the leader, the hero, the person who's supposed to be sort of guiding us along. So there's a sense of well, all right, what now? <laughs> like, how are we gonna make this work? So
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, I mean and <laughs> you know, again, Marty Knox and you know, her comment on her Twitter is I ruined the buffy. Yeah, so, yeah. you know
2: even no, even that.
0: without any any uh hint at what's gonna happen or anything there's definitely there there's definitely a change in tone. And but you know, yeah. on the same token, it's not like you know, I think even I, I can't remember where I read or or saw this. Like it's not like Joss is completely out of the picture or anything. Like he's he's off writing another episode of Buffy. Like yeah. he's sort of and it's, you know, a particularly complex and in depth episode as as we'll talk about when we get to it. But yeah. you know, you know, so it's not and, and he, you know was aware of the storylines and, and approved of the storyline, you know? So like, it's not like he's completely out of the picture or anything, but, but there is that sense of, of, you know, this isn't like a total handover, like, you know, uh, we had with Davies to Moffat or whatever, but, but there is that sense of like, you know, now there's a new player on board, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, as, as we do, let's, look at the story and then, you know, we can talk about the sort of claims about the story as well and see if Mm -hmm. they sort of match up or not. But I definitely think there's, uh, you know, there's some, some stuff there that we can sort of work through and, and try to figure out. Also just so, you know, speaking of sort of extraneous things going on, um, there definitely was sort of drama between the WB and UPN and, uh, just the whole handover of the show and sort of, you know, again, with like the WB sort of hinting that like the show, like that it was the series finale, not just like the the season finale, you know, at the end of season five and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, you know, and a lot of that led to a lot of anticipation. Um, this has the second highest viewership of a Buffy episode, mm-hmm. some of which is fueled precisely by that you know buffy being yeah. dead and then you know all the anticipation of
2: right you know
0: at this point joss had said no no we're bringing buffy back we just don't know how so people tuned in and you yeah. know it loses some of that viewership over the course of the season of course but yeah. uh you, you know i mean it's there certainly was a lot of interest at you know yeah. with this episode so
2: yeah um,
1: yeah.
0: Anyway.
1: No, and I mean, again, it's only the first episode, so it's kind of hard to like make big claims, but like even it it definitely feels um like the same show. Like, you know, like it aesthetically it doesn't look it's there's no change in like the style of, of mm. the dialogue or the way it's shot or any of that. And and it's very much the continuity of the characters picking up I mean, obviously time has passed, but picking up emotionally with where we were left off of them trying to deal with the aftermath. Whereas like you brought up the contrast to Dr. Who, like that very much felt like Moffat saying, all right, yeah. we have to change everything to like, you yeah. know, and, and obviously there's certain fundamental things that he kept the same, but also whatever we can change just for the heck of it, we should, because to make it new, yeah. whereas here, I don't think there's that, there's not that sense of, trying to reinvent the wheel, it's like... Right. I think they're more trying to say, like, uh, you know, okay, the, this is still the show that you love. These are the characters that you care about, and we're going to keep continuing with pretty much where we left off with them. Right. And, you know, continue that, yeah. you know, through line and everything.
0: Yeah, and even, like, from a director perspective, so this was directed by David Grossman, who had been uh brought in in season three as a director and has been yeah, you know directing like episodes like since then. A you ton know, of
1: episodes.
0: It's yeah. probably I mean, you know, each director might only do three or four a season, but it's probably at least his like seventh or eighth episode. Yeah. You know, that he's that he's directed. So I mean, you know, someone who's familiar with the show and all of that. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, so right, exactly. So anyway, I you know, don't want to take too much more time talking about (laughs) production and stuff, probably even more than was strictly necessary. Um, You know, again, sort of with the cutoff, uh, obviously, so so we sort of followed the Netflix version, right? Where it cuts off after the grave, which I think occurs in the 46th minute, which normally, you know, episodes are like, what, 42, 43 minutes. So, you, you know, we would... If, if we were cutting it sort of at the normal episode mark it would be like just before that when like
2: mm-hmm.
0: the the urn gets broken and like everyone's sort of dejected and being surrounded by demons so like mm-hmm. we wouldn't even have Buffy in sort mm-hmm. of the first you know running uh, minutes of the first episode if, if this is really split into a two-parter but
1: right right
0: uh, right we do so we'll talk about it a little bit Wait,
1: and, and I- <laughs> it's interesting because um you spend the whole first half uh again with that lack of Buffy but there's also this this growing once you know they're going to do the ritual we kind of know how it is she's going to come back and but then there's this other kind of danger attached to that of you know what if it doesn't go the way it's supposed to what if like there's all these like question marks and and the more we see of the ritual the more kind of sketchy it seems like you know it's definitely not a you know clean ritual there's some taboo stuff that's going into it so i think it's interesting to end you, you know i could see the argument of oh it's more dramatic to end with oh it didn't work but it's creepy in another way to end with oh it worked but it got interrupted in the middle and what does that mean you know because Mm -hmm. is it is it better to not have worked at all than to have kind of worked you know or mostly worked you know and the well the, the bit in which it didn't go according to plan is is a little bit dangerous i think
0: Yeah. And hey,
1: nobody knows she's alive in there and she's buried alive in a coffin. So that sucks.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. So right. So right. The two aspects of by virtue of being interrupted.
2: Yeah.
0: Did something magical, mystical, supernatural go wrong? Yeah. And oh, hey, there's a bunch of demons around. Nobody's thinking, oh, maybe we should dig up the coffin and just check to make sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, like, just to cover our
0: bases, you know, just, you know, whatever.
1: Well, and they're under the impression that if it didn't, if it got interrupted, that was it. So they're not going to think, like, maybe we should check, you know. I'm imagining some sort of, like, the bride in Kill Bill, when she, like, punches her way out of the coffin kind of scenario. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, But anyway, part two will have to tell us how exactly Buffy... yeah escapes but that's a kind of horrific that's a pretty horrific cliffhanger in its own way so I don't think it entirely it just changes the kind of tension at the end you know
2: sure Um, sure so okay
1: so that was the ending we kind of talked about there so (laughs) just kind of loop back around to the beginning um, I want to talk about the presence of the Buffy bot um, because there's this you know uh, I feel like I'd have to go back and check, but I feel like almost every season premiere has a shot like this where there's some sort of monster or vampire that's being like, you know, slayed and chased and everything, and then you have the like pan up to see like hmm. who it is that's doing the slaying. Um like isn't there one yeah, where it was ex- Willow or except, like
0: except like season one.
1: Yeah, except where it starts so out
0: with Darla. In there, the, there
1: might be yeah, yeah, there might be like a exception to that rule, but I feel like that's a kind of thing that happens a lot. in the so it's interesting to have like that kind of classic introductory hero shot, and then but you're like, wait a minute, you know, how is this? You know, where's especially because before that, you've got all the Scoobies working as doing their teamwork. You know, we're taking down the vampire is a group thing so you're not expecting you know to have buffy among them um and of course it's the buffy bot which i think i guessed sooner than i would have if i'd had a long hiatus to like sure not think about it you know but the fact that we followed closely right. on season 5 she's sort of fresh in my mind but um
0: yeah and and Marty Noxon definitely, like, made that point of, like, they were totally going for that, like, oh, wait a minute, there's Buffy and yeah. hoping to sort of, like, get yeah. people. But, you know, I'm sure there were there were probably some who were fooled and probably some who weren't. You know, you could also think, well, maybe, maybe there's going to be, like, a flashback. Like, maybe this is, like, sure. we're seeing after Buffy is back and then we're going to go back and tell the story of how she got there right. or that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so... Throughout the episode, you kind of have the Buffy bot as, you know, continuing to use that, uh, you know, device as a replacement as much as possible for Buffy. So, you know, what do we do when we don't have Buffy? Well, we have this robot lying around that looks a lot like her and trying to get her not just to sort of slay demons and be you know somewhat um sisterly and parental towards dawn but like even programming puns into it and like you know trying to like make up for her personality as well as you know what she can do physically and
0: everything the Um, the uh the marzipan line
2: yeah
0: uh is pretty funny um it's apparently that that was a shout out to um Jane Espenson who thinks that's apparently like the funniest word like ever. Marzipan. Marzipan, okay. Yeah. All right. Just just kind of a yeah, no no particular thing there but Sounds
1: like a good contender. Um, um, but yeah,
0: but it but it does like it does give that like there's definitely a sense of it's not I mean it's Sarah Michelle Gellar, so there's not like the uh yeah. physical uncanny valley that you might have with right. um you know androids or whatever typically but there is sort of a like a maybe a cognitive uncanny valley if i mm-hmm. can if i can coin that term or or apply that term mm-hmm. uh like like there is that thing of you know like you said she they try to program little puns and quips but they don't quite work like they're not you know quite Buffyisms. they're yeah, they're yeah. they're just sort of shy of Buffyisms. um
1: yeah, the, and, the really long knock-knock joke at the end of
0: the yeah. one
1: I could never, that line that goes on forever where she tries to respond to the who's there, you know, she'll never exactly be the who, the really real Buffy, that whole thing that goes yeah, on yeah.
0: forever. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and just like the the everyday things, like making too many sandwiches and, you know, not, not quite getting the, you, you know, there's like the the quasi Zoolander thing of like, well, how will the people like live? You know, I don't know people who are that small, you know, to live in a town that size kind right, of thing. Right. And, and, you know, all of those sorts of little, little things that just give her away, but don't like, no one seems to like get it. Mm-hmm. Um
1: Yeah. Like all the parents think she's a genius because she, right. you know, uh, <laughs> critiques the food and everything at the school. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah, you're right with the like the it's funny the the cognitive uncanny valley thing because it's like you have her you have her there, so you have the presence of Sarah michelle Geller and the and the character looking like she looks, but like even in that first scene, you just have like you know the sense of like they're all kind of tired of her and weird like it's like she's not really replacing Buffy in the way that we'd hoped so like that sense of like oh you know all right I fixed the punning but I'll fix it again like you know you just get the sense of like this has been going on and on and you know she's sort of she'll do because what else are we gonna do but it's, it's it's like we've gone past the point of, like, she's creepy to the point of, like, oh, all right, she's still here, okay. <laughs> like, yeah you know.
0: Well, and, right, I mean, there's sort of the necessity. Because, like, if if she's not there, of course, Dawn doesn't have a guardian, which means she gets taken away. And, right you know, there's that whole aspect to it. But also, um, it sort of reiterates the thing that we've been talking about really right from the beginning with the whole, like, the people of Sunnydale are kind of either ignorant or like willfully sort Mm -hmm. of looking away from like the things that are weird. And like, this is like just another weird thing that goes on in Sunnydale. It's like, Oh, there's something not quite right about this woman, but yeah, we're just going to keep sort of going on, pretending that everything's okay. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. It's like, that's that weird slayer girl who protects us and she's being a little strange, but just don't mention it. Um, Yeah, and, you know, and with her, you know, you get her still persisting with some of her programmed, uh, attitudes towards Spike and everything, and, like, again, even with him, you get that weariness of it, of, like, you know, this is not doing it for him anymore, you know, like, the thing, he's kind of over that initial reason, which was why he had her built in the first place, um... So even with Spike, that's kind of gotten old and it's just uncomfortable now and he just would rather, you know, stop and everything. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that was something that kind of surprised me a little bit was um, it wasn't clear to me that at first, it took me a couple minutes to realize that they're using her to pretend that Buffy's still alive. So not just as another... Fighter, so that we have someone to help us, you know, kill vampires, but actually pretending that Buffy is alive to protect Dawn and everything. Um, And I think I wasn't expecting that because, like, we had the burial and the gravestone and everything. So on the one hand, there was a kind of acknowledgement that Buffy had died. But, you know, so there's, you know, a little bit of...
0: You know, uh, that's a good point that I didn't really consider... (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it was just a very private and somehow they got around the, you know, paperwork aspects of that. (laughs) But, like, I understand that, like, there's reasons for keeping these things hidden from Dawn's dad in particular, and maybe also her school and, you know, some of these other, you know. But yeah, that kind of
0: threw me off at first um, yeah yeah I don't have an answer for that that is but you're right like the fact that she you know there was clearly some sort of ceremony and like they purchased a headstone and stuff like there's presumably a death certificate that was right. filled out you know and whatnot like because yeah. I don't think you can just like get a well you might be able to like buy a plot before you're dead but like I don't think you can actually bury someone in it <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, without like <laughs> yeah. some sort of verification that they're actually dead.
1: Right, um, right. And if so, how is she walking around without right. anybody noticing?
0: Right. Um, wow, that's, I've, I don't think I've ever heard that point made before. That's interesting.
1: So, yeah, I mean, not the end of the world. I feel like it's one of sure. those things where you want to end a season one way and it doesn't necessarily suit your purposes you kind of maybe want to start the season a different way um so yeah. i i kind of feel like that's forgivable but you know um little confusing but anyway um <laughs> so i guess with the buffy bot too like the other big thing is uh like just using as the kind of plot device in the end as like they they kind of seed in this idea of like the homing homing mechanism and everything that you know she gets broken Mm -hmm. she homes to Willow which of course is the you know the flaw at the end you know she's what brings
2: this gang
1: of motorcycle like demons right into the middle of the ritual and everything um so yeah Buffybot not so good with the like independent thinking and like you know sure this is the problem of the robot is you know uh she just does whatever you tell her in the most literal way possible and doesn't you know really substitute for a human being but um yeah i don't know that i have too much more to say about like the bot or the motorcycle demons um Unless you do. I feel like
0: no, I, we can no, move I mean, the, the
1: characters.
0: The demons are pretty generic. You know, just we need a gang of demons to go sort of harass the Sunny Daylights, you know, while mm-hmm. Buffy's out. And and yeah, like literally the entire point of uh, you know, Buffy Bot being programmed to go seek Willow is so that she can then interrupt you know, with all the demons following at the yeah. wrong exact time of course so um yeah i don't i don't think there's a need to go i mean they're not like particularly whatever demons are just sort of your normal demons looking to raise hell on the yeah. hell mouth. yeah so
1: and especially when they hear that the slayer is you know either not there anymore or replaced by this robotic copy and everything sunnydale becomes this you know, target, um, cause it's yeah. sort of vulnerable. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to talk about Willow first. Um, cause I feel like she is the Marty Knoxon of this episode kind of thrust into this position of leadership. And, you know, we kind of even find out like officially that like they decided it's not just like she steps in as leader. It's like they talked about this and made a decision. Like, and apparently it was Xander's idea to make her, you know, when she starts making decisions, he gets resentful. And who made you boss? Well, Xander did. And he had a whole, like, reasons why and they voted on it. And he made a plaque and, like, made it super <laughs> official and everything. So now he, you know, gets annoyed at being told what to do, but it's kind of his own fault. Um, right. Right. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, I feel like of the of the Scoobies, maybe Willow is the kind of natural choice, although I think later I want to talk about Giles because it's kind of interesting that Giles isn't like... That's part of the Giles story is that he's not leading the group, which is interesting.
2: Um, sure.
1: And you even get it like willow using her magic now to lead the group so like they're all on the ground fighting and she's standing above them on this big crypt like Mm. you know directing them and giving them these psychic instructions and everything um
0: yeah which is like so now so that sort of happened at the end of last season right that like she sort of developed this new psychic power yeah so now it's like like, she's refined it, right? Like, mm-hmm. now she can, you know, talk to them and, like, tell, give them instructions on, you know, where to go and what to do and, you know, yeah. all this stuff, too. Um, Which, so just, you know, more yeah. more growth of her magic abilities, right? Like, she's yeah. definitely improving upon what she knows already.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I have, like, kind of mixed feelings about it because... On the one hand, it's, like, a very practical way of, you know, helping the group and, like, that she can see all these things and direct them and everything. And it's, like, probably the smartest way to go about it. On the other hand, it's very different style of leadership to Buffy, you know, who's, like, Mm. first into the fray and leads by example with her fighting. Whereas, like, you have Willow as the kind of, like, the, you know, the 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 kind of general who sort of hangs back and directs their fighters, you know, rather than leads them head on, you know. Um, I don't necessarily want to say it's bad, but it's different, you know, to mm-hmm. to Buffy. I mean, and obviously different skill sets, but, um, you know, I think it can't help but, like, affect the way they work as a team and everything. Um Sure. But, you know, I think also with the ritual that she does with bringing Buffy back, it's not like Willow's not willing to put herself into danger, obviously. Because, like, she, like, doesn't give any of that to anybody else. You know, she doesn't, any of those, like, unpleasant things that she has to go through, she does them all herself. So... There's no like delegating there of like, oh, you go kill this innocent fawn and you go do this black market stuff or whatever. It's like, in that case, she takes all the really like unpleasant, dangerous stuff on herself and is the one to like go through the ritual, which is really scary and dangerous and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting developments from Willow like you know growth in different ways I think like definitely more you see more powerful magic from her but also um more of that kind of decisiveness of the leadership whereas like that kind of shy Willow who wants to be told what to do has been sort of put to the side a little bit I think Like, I'm trying to think. There was a quote about that from her, and now I can't think of it in, like, the previous season. Um, hmm. I can't think, darn it. It's towards the end of the season when Buffy's telling her something like, like, you're my secret weapon or something like that. Now I can't think of the the Buffy phrase that she used. But that sense of Willow denying that she's, like, one of the more powerful ones is sort of
2: right. gone. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and That's well, kind of so um, the so the other aspect of this too, right, of her leadership is, um, you know, not that Buffy was always the most forthcoming uh, mm-hmm. person, but Willow, you know, goes out and gets, you know, uh, what is it? What does she call it, the wine of the mother, or whatever, or something like that, like the. Mm-hmm. Which is you know, Fawn's blood, <laughs> apparently. So like, you know, she's very cryptic about what she's doing, and isn't you know quite as like I don't you know other other than the fact that she's killing like an innocent little animal, and and uh, apparently uh, they were gonna they were actually gonna film like a no animals were hurt in the filming of this episode, like they like having like Willow say that sort of at the end of the episode, but. Um, they ended up not doing that. Um, but apparently that, that scene was originally much more graphic and they, they actually cut it back for, you know, the final in the final cutting
2: mm-hmm.
0: final editing and stuff. Um, you know, but, but just this idea of, you know, she's never that I can think of, like, you know, actively gone out and like killed something, you know, to do magic. and, yeah. Granted, we're dealing with more powerful stuff here than maybe she's ever done, right? Like you know, dealing with life and death type stuff, um, mm-hmm. which is something from the beginning. You know that she and Tara have sort of said you can't do, mm-hmm. and of course we saw when Don tried to do it, and you know there were the problems that came with that, and all of
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know um, that sort of stuff. But you know, here she's. One, it's, you know, there's a whole conversation that she has with um, Xander, you know, and, and Xander's like, wait a minute, should we even be doing this? And, and you know, kind of like you said, like, she's just like, you know, go, you know, full throttle forward. You know, she's sort of the one giving commands and saying she's not going to leave her there. You know, it's Buffy. Like, we have to do something. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, again, sort of going out and secretly... Killing this innocent creature to, you know, use in the spell and all of this, kind of going further both in her assertiveness and in her magic capabilities than she's ever gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
1: the The quote I was trying, I found it is "You're my big gun," is what. Buffy said to her, and that was only like a couple episodes ago that Buffy says, you're my big gun. And she's like, no, 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 not the big, like she doesn't want to be the big gun. Sure. Whereas, like, now I feel like, yeah, she's the big gun. And there's not any more arguing about that. Like not in a, like, you know, it's not like she, we see any big like speeches about it or anything, but like, it's accepted that both in terms of her authority and in terms of her magical ability, she's the big gun. And, like, everybody's kind of in agreement there. Um You know, and she kind of says, like, firmly, like, nobody's changing their mind. We made this decision. And we, you all agreed to it. At least you did earlier. And now, as the leader, I'm telling you to stick to that decision that we made. Um So, yeah, that assertiveness, like you said, is, like, definitely... Um not unprecedented, but like a lot more resolved than it was. Yeah. Even even la- at the end of last season,
0: I think. Yeah. Um. Um, also, it's worth sort of pointing out the the changes um, in her clothing that sort of happened throughout the episode. So, in the <laughs> beginning of the episode, you have sort of normal, you know, what we've come to sort of expect. She she has like a t shirt and you know skirt, I think, on or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, she goes out to the stream and, or field or wherever, and, you know, she's wearing, like, all white and, you know, whatever. And then, um... Right, it's
1: that, and it's, like, calling the, the pure fawn to her, it's, like... Right. It reminds me of, like, in... Like medieval stories and it's like you know you need the only like a virgin can capture like a unicorn that kind of thing of like sure. you need to be pure to catch something that you know
2: um, that
0: pure
1: so yeah of, but uh, of course the irony being like oh come to me beautiful yeah. fawn and then she like butchers well
0: <laughs> and and then in the very next scene which is well or, or at least I don't know if it's ex- immediately next, or the one after that, uh, when they go out to see Giles, you know, off at the airport, she's wearing, a, a like, a scarlet red shirt, mm. which, you know, you could, that was deliberate. Like, they talk about that in the commentary, that that's, you know, yeah. showing that she she spilled blood. And then by the end, she's changed again, mm-hmm. you know, to go to the graveyard, and she's, like, in this very dark, clothing you know her um, kind
1: of goth phase yeah yeah yeah
0: um so yeah so there's just even even just with her clothes like there's very much a progression in her Mm -hmm. personality and and style uh, throughout the episode yeah um yeah
2: um
1: i guess one last thing with her too is in kind of i think it is worth bringing up I'm glad you mentioned Dawn bringing back uh, Joyce last season. Because I think, obviously, if you're going to bring a character back from the dead with this magic, there are, you know, moral uh, objections to that. And especially because, like, the show has done that in the past. Like, we've had places where characters have wanted to bring their loved ones back from the dead. And it's been said, no, that's not good. It's dangerous. It can go wrong. And like with Joyce, it was treated as like this horrific thing. Like the, the feet slowly walking towards the house, like, and you don't want to know what's on the other side of the door kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's still part of it. Like that's part of the fear when Buffy comes back at the end is like, what if she doesn't come back? Right. But you know, you also get Willow. I think it's important to have Willow explain her reasons of you know it's different when uh the when if the death was natural or or if it wasn't you know um like she didn't she wasn't killed physically she was sort of killed magically by this energy and that could mean any number of things um you know which we've had before like with angel
2: mm-hmm. who they
1: did bring back so you know there's, like, a precedent for that, I guess, is sort of the idea.
0: Right. Um, yeah, and he was... Right, because it was, like, a magic sword, and, you know, he was right. sucked into hell and stuff, and right. and he's supernatural anyway, so... Right. There's all that aspect to it. But, yeah, yeah. Right. There, this, There's something about Joyce's death having been a natural death that um, yeah, sort of made it impossible for her to, to come back, but... Mm-hmm. And and also the method, right? Like, you, you get the feeling that the method that was used, because you're getting it from Doc, who we later right. find out is one of Glory's minions. So, well, not the minion minions, but, you know, right. one of Glory's worshippers or whatever. And, you know, so his magic is sort of dark and off and, mm. you know, not necessarily designed to be, you know, what you would expect uh, whereas, like, Willow yeah. seems to have found, like, a loophole or, or you know, something that actually will work, but, you know, just is sort of a one-shot thing.
2: mm mm-hmm.
0: You know, which they find on eBay.
1: Which they find on eBay. Um, yeah, although, given the use of the blood of, like, an innocent animal, and, like, there's still, I think, some... Maybe not as evil and sketch as Doc's magic, but like, I,
2: I, I'm yeah.
0: I'm
1: still kind of worried about the. I I don't you mean know. to
0: say yeah no you're right there's definitely a darkness to it but I, I I also feel like like that's the you know blood is life you know sort of aspect right like sure. like it's it's. Right, you there's know, no like, version of this
1: that isn't going to include blood. Like, it's, yeah.
0: it's what Spike says, you know, when yeah. he says it's it's yeah. always about blood. There's yeah. always got to be some kind of blood. And yeah. and I mean, yeah, that's not to say that it's good. I mean, you're still taking in, you're still sort of trading an innocent life for another life anyway. But, you know, I just meant by like with with Doc, especially finding out later that he's, you know, one of Lori's worshipers, like you can mm-hmm. it kind of like, okay, well it makes sense that like this spell or this, you know, idea that he gives to Don is, is going to be twisted in some yeah. way that you're not expecting. Whereas
2: yeah
0: Willow is now knowledgeable and capable enough to, to sort of recognize that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, and hopefully be able to, you know, do this spell in a way where it's not going to be twisted. Um, Mm -hmm. Or at least if it is, it's, you know, because even with all of her sort of research and care, you know, something Mm -hmm. goes wrong. Like the urn maybe gets smashed in the middle of it kind of thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And Tara says something like that too. Like I think Tara holds that, that contradiction sort of imbalance of like you know it it is wrong it's against all laws of nature and practically impossible to do but it's what we agreed to so like she's kind of voicing that thing of yes both of these things are true like just because we agreed to and you know and we're going to stick to that doesn't mean that that makes it easy or you know uh not you know dangerous or any of these other things, so, um, yeah, and, and I think you often get Tara as that voice of, like, moderation and reason and everything, like, you know, she's there to sort of keep you on the, sort of, keep your moral compass, uh, you know, sort of in tune and everything. Um... So with Tara and Willow, one want to note the fact that they're sort of, you know, taking care of Dawn, really, like in the most functional sense, like Buffy Bot's there for some cover, but, you know, and makes sandwiches. But like, they're basically seems to be like living in the house with Willow and, you know, or with uh, Dawn and, you know, mm-hmm. acting as her sort of surrogate parents in the meantime. Um, Sure. So, yeah, definitely, um, you know, getting... That can only deepen their relationship, I imagine. Um, You know, and making them sort of closer to each other and to the group and to Dawn and everything. Um, And with Tara, the only other real point I wanted to make is that... That kind of, again, with her, that kind of tentative trust in Willow, but, like, she trusts her, but you also, you know, there's a lot of terror trying to convince herself as well as other people. You know, like, kind of, you know, obviously worried about Willow and what she's going through and the ritual and everything, but then even kind of saying, when she's saying, it's a test, don't interrupt her there's that sense of like, she has to keep reminding herself that, you know, like Mm. it's a test. It's a test. Don't do anything because she doesn't, you know, there's that part of her that either isn't totally convinced or is just so worried that it's hard not to reach out and sort of interrupt it herself. Um, Which, yeah, I find myself like, listening to Tara in any given scene. Like, <laughs> like I feel like if I'm in the room, I'd be like, what does Tara think? So I feel like if, <laughs> if, if, if Willow's saying, yeah, I got this, no problem. And Tara's saying, yeah, but you know, I, I feel like there's just a wisdom there that is worth listening to. So that's, I think another factor of what's making, giving me this whole sense of like this ritual being uh not as straightforward as it seems to be.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you have anything else for Tara and Willow really, or?
0: No, not really. I think you got, got everything there. Um, I think you're right. Like Tara is one of those people that probably should be listened to more. (laughs) Yeah. But alas,
1: But alas, um, if she was, she wouldn't be Tara, probably. Um, so Xander and Anya, um, they are still engaged, but haven't told anyone yet. Um, yeah. Which, of course, is making Anya anxious. Many things are making Anya anxious. And she the fact that she can't talk about any of them makes her even more anxious. So she's just this sort of you know, walking well of emotions and everything and, you know, snipping at Giles and starting fights with him. Um, And, you know, Xander's not wanting to make waves (laughs) and his sort of determination to just see how things go and sort of, you know, go with the flow and ride along and not, you know, bring up any you know big discussions at the moment so
2: yeah
1: um yeah not not quite not quite the same tune as at the end of the last season when he had his kind of whole like well seize the day kind of thing of you know we can't that's kind of what Anya's saying now is like we can't let sad things stop us from living and the world doesn't just end because bad things happen and oh, by the way, making a happy announcement would be even good for us. That's all the stuff that, like, Xander was saying at the end of the last season. That's kind of why he proposed was, let's do it now because the world might end and, like, we have to live our lives. And they've kind of reversed, I feel like. Um, you know. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah you gotta kind of feel bad for Anya a bit yeah right like I mean she was sort of promised sure. something and yeah. and now Xander's not holding up you know for whatever reason he's
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know whether you agree with him or not like if that's a worthy reason to sort of withhold the information but yeah like it's not like I mean they haven't broke up they haven't called it off but they're also have never announced anything either so you know there there is sort of a validity you know even thinking back to when he first popped the question of you know her saying ask me when this is all over
2: Mm.
0: you know i mean we don't know like maybe he did, maybe he did. Like, maybe it's just assumed at this point. Like, mm. like we don't actually see him ask her again when it's all over. Like, it's just, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, they're still talking about it and they're still kind of engaged, but not really publicly engaged. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: who knows what's...
1: Yeah, and that's... That is a very definite switch because I was thinking more of it as, like, Anya taking on that kind of carpe diem approach to it, but, like, that's kind of what Xander is saying now. He's the one saying, I'll ask you again when this is over. <laughs> like, like, I'm, mm. like, he's in that position now of, like, all the stuff that's going on now, let's wait until that passes us by and we're, like, you know, so, like, yeah, they are kind of changing positions a bit. Um, so...
2: Yeah. Yeah, And Xander
1: throughout the episode is sort of trying to pull back everybody, you know, you know, pull back Anya from rushing into it too fast. Pull back Willow from, you know, going through this ritual, which he's like having cold feet about and everything. So which
0: um, which is interesting when you put those two things together, because mm -hmm. then if you're saying to Anya, well, wait until this is done, you know, wait till we. Like have brought back Buffy and this is all done, mm-hmm. but then he's saying to
2: mm-hmm.
0: Willow, "Don't Maybe do we it." We shouldn't do this. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, well, what does that actually mean then? Right, um, right. But yeah, no, I mean he he's definitely, you know, which is interesting because on the one hand, a lot of times, you know, Xander being you know Mister Mister Body, right, mm-hmm. is is the one to just sort of jump into things and like you know throw himself in the way of danger and yeah. You know, not that he's any good at fighting or anything. It's just he's no, but more impulsive. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: but now he's, you know, putting you know, sort of putting the brakes, like you said, on on multiple things or trying to put the brakes on multiple things, and Mm -hmm. um, you know, with limited or or little success. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, you know. I I don't know what, what to say anymore about that. Obviously we'll, we'll find out more, you know, as stuff goes on, but definitely, definitely. I I agree with you. Like there's, there's been a switch sort of in Anya and Xander's relationship and, and feelings towards being engaged. Um, Mm -hmm. Also just sort of to note too, Anya has a bit of a different hairstyle. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, the Marty Naxon and and David Fury were sort of mentioning how um, her hair looks a lot more like Sarah Michelle Gellar. So actually, there mm. were several scenes where, from like the back or whatever, like it, it was really hard to distinguish the hmm. two of them. Um, Interesting. For for whatever reason that occurred, um, but they said like Anya Anya will go through like a few different looks. Uh, you know, changes in look this season, but yeah, I feel like her noting, hair changes
1: a lot. Um,
0: n- noting that a lot
1: more than the average person, yeah.
0: Yeah, in per- in particular, she she has that look, uh, that the sort of Buffyish look in this episode, anyway.
2: Yeah, um,
0: at least at least you know from the back with with the different colored hair. Yeah, um, and of course we get the great line, you know, talking. Talking about uh, this alongside Battlestar Galactica, we get the uh, great line that uh, Buffy Bots, a descendant of the toaster oven.
1: I know. Uh, I, I almost for a second, I'm like, is that a Battlestar reference? And I was like, no, this came first. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, <laughs> or, or or unless before it's an older the, the
1: reboot. Unless, did they use toaster in the I, in the old series?
0: I don't know. I don't was remember.
1: That a, a slur. <laughs> I don't.
0: I don't remember. Like, I feel like it could have been.
1: Yeah. Um. um
0: it it feels like something that could have been brought over, but I don't I don't right. know enough.
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: even though I've seen the original, I don't remember that specifically. I remember yeah. like frack and you know, stuff like that. But, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely jumped out to um, me too. Um robots and toasters, there's some sort of
0: uh Oh and there. and I'm sorry, did if you did you mention the whole store situation?
1: Not really, no. No, I wanna mention that. So um, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, she promises to take good care of the money.
1: Yeah, would you believe her?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure she'll take good care of it. It's just a question of how much Giles will see. Right, um, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I know we didn't really talk about Giles yet, but this might be a good sort of segue to him. Sure. Uh, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on him. But yeah, he's apparently leaving and going back to England. Um, yeah,
1: at which I noticed he wasn't in the... Well darn credits so that makes it feel real Mm. and it makes me not believe that he's coming back
0: yeah i will i will neither confirm nor deny um but yeah yeah like there's
1: willow's thing of oh what if what if Buffy comes back. Well, then he'll come back. And I'm like, no, I don't believe you. Cause he's not in the
0: credits. <laughs> uh, this is when you're, um, yeah. When you're, you're non-diegetic knowledge. Yeah. Like becomes uh, <laughs> like a
1: curse. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Um, that's very upsetting. I,
0: I, I will say this isn't the last time we see Giles, but I won't say any more than that.
1: I um, would be very disappointed if it was, but like, yeah, I'm I'm worried about his status as a series regular. Sure. Um, yeah, no, he's he's very sad and lost in this episode, you know, and and even more so, the others are missing their friend and missing their leader and he's kind of missing his purpose you know like yeah you know that feeling of don't you have a life i don't know (laughs)
2: like what is his
1: life if it's not buffy you
0: know it's not
1: like he gets another slayer you know
0: so and and to be honest sort of the moment that i had the thought about you know the original thought of the sort of Cognitive uncanny valley is that conversation between him and the Buffy bot where Mm. it's, you know, you almost get the sense of like, like we've had conversations before where Buffy has sort of tried to perk Giles up, you know, similar to how Buffy bot (laughs) tries to perk Giles up. And it's just such a different conversation because, you know, sort of everywhere Buffy bot turns, whether it's Spike or Giles or whoever there's, there's just that, it's that reminder of because you're so close to looking and acting like Buffy, but you're just, there's just something off about you. Mm-hmm. Like it makes it that much harder. And that whole conversation, you know, between Buffybot and Giles of, you know, the every Slayer needs her watcher and, you know, him sort of like feeling dejected and, in whatever. And, and... And that call of, you know, this is how every sort of Slayer-Watcher relationship ends is, you know, pretty poignant there. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's that's true. Like, it, it doesn't ever end of, like, okay, we both did a really good job and now we're going to go our separate ways and <laughs> find, to you know, other yeah. <laughs> gainful employment. It's, yeah. no, that just doesn't happen. it You know, one or the other always dies. And, you know... Right.
1: Well, and there and, has and,
0: been this, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was, no, was no, going to no, say, finish. too, like, like, there's also, like, we've met other Watchers before. Like, we know that there's Watchers assigned to, like, other potential Slayers and, you know, that sort of thing. Like, you know, Kendra had one and mm-hmm. Faith had one before he mm-hmm. died and, you know, all of that. So, like, you also get the sense of, like, if the Slayer dies first, like, the Watcher, there, I don't, I don't get the sense, like, does he go back and is he, like, part of the Council now? Or is there, like, an old Watcher's home that he goes (laughs) to, like, like there, we don't really know, but that seems to be like, he's going back to England. Yeah. So, you know, we know that that's where the Watcher's council is. We know like his father was a part of, you know, the Watcher's council at one point or whatever. We don't know if that's still around, like if he's still around or whatever, but you know, there's just this, this sense of, you know, there's, He's going to something, but but it, whatever it is, it's clearly not what he wants to be going to. And yeah. part of that's just because it means Buffy's dead. And but also, like you said, like he's he's feeling lost. Like he doesn't really know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. So,
1: well, and I feel like with the emphasis on uh, you know the Slayer with family and friends who's defied all the odds for so long. There was that sense of, uh, you know, like he says, this is how it always ends with that kind of resignation of, oh, I shouldn't be surprised. He is surprised. I think there's they all thought they could be the exception to that rule. Like sure. maybe maybe a part of them recognized how unlikely that was, but that was that was the feeling, that was the hope, which is probably how every slayer and watcher feel of I'm the one that, you know, it won't happen to me, you know, which I think maybe yeah. every person in the world feels like that. Like it's, you can't imagine yourself mm. being, you know, dying, you know, like especially I think when you're, when you're young, you know, maybe as you get older, that mortality sinks in more, but, you know, that sense of, that that can't happen to us, you know? I think you can't help but indulge that a little bit. So
2: yeah.
1: I feel like his sadness of, oh, that's how it always ends, there's that sense of, I should have known this, but I didn't really want to believe it until it happened, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? Um, and then
1: immediately from that, you get all the guilt of, what could I have done differently? It's my fault. What did I do wrong? Like I got her killed in the, it's like, like he says, like I got her killed in the line of duty as if it was him all along, you know, as if he could have prevented it or something.
0: Right. Um, Um, you know, the other thing, so like just even thinking back to season four where, um, you know, there's, there's sort of the, you know, he's fired or leaves or whatever the, the watchers council and, uh, uh, I mean, he's around, but he's not, like, really Buffy's watcher anymore, you know, and right, all of that kind right. of stuff. Like, like, but he's still in Sunnydale. Like, he, he right. stays and he still has an apartment and he's mm-hmm. still, I mean, he's sort of, like, dejected and whatever. Like, he doesn't have his library anymore, right? Because the school gets blown up at the end of season three and, you know, all of that, but, like, he's still around, he still kind of provides guidance every now and then. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we kind of see how he goes through sort of different stages of being (laughs) alone and and whatnot for a while there. But, but like, this is different than that, right? Like, this is this is completely aimless, like he's, he's leaving, it seems for good. And, Mm. you know, just kind of that, that idea of not really knowing what's going to happen next which feels it seems like that's new and like for someone who's sort of his age you know in his 40s or whatever like that seems like like there was always something that he was looking forward to at some point in his life but now that's th- that like there's nothing there's nothing mm-hmm. left uh really at this point that we know of anyway
1: mm-hmm. But that he chooses then to not, like, you know, why, he doesn't choose to stay with the Scoobies and make them his new purpose. Like, that's the saddest part, is like, okay, yeah, this is tough, and you maybe have lost the thing which was your sort of reason to be and all this stuff. But that his reaction to that is to cut himself off from the group, you know, when sure they and there could be mutual, you know, like he, they could maybe use his guidance and he could use them as people to take care of. But there's, I, you know,
0: I wonder to an extent how much he senses. Like, obviously, he doesn't know what. what the plan is, you know, that yeah. Willow and them have, but mm-hmm. I wonder to an extent, like, like, cause he's with them there at the beginning, right? Fighting vampires mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So like, he is kind of doing that. Sure. Yeah. But, up until he but, goes. But like, but, is, like yeah. I wonder, I wonder if he senses too, that like, he's just like, like Buffy was his connection to the group. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that, you know, you have a group of friends, but really you're like more friends with like one person than you are right. with the rest of them and if that person goes away or dies or something like maybe you just don't hang out with that group of friends anymore. Like you just, you know, they just sort of go off and and do their Mm -hmm. own thing and you do your own thing. And and like, maybe that's more the way he's sort of feeling. So like, I don't know. I'm like, we don't get an explicit sort of explanation. So I, I'm just sort of guessing, but, but I, you know, it might, there, there's also the pain aspect. Like maybe he doesn't want to stay because it just hurts too much to right. think about, you know, whatever. Like if he failed, or the fact that Buffy's gone, or whatever. Like that. That right. seems you know that relationship seems to be in the conversation with the Buffy bot. That seems to be what he keep you know what he's sticking at. And maybe that's just yeah. Maybe it's just too much for him to stick around and be reminded of right. whatever you know the fact that Buffy's gone or that he failed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, again, that's yeah. all sort of conjecture. Like it, we don't get an sure. explicit answer, but I can, I can understand, you know, at least to some degree, like I can, I can think of reasons why he would not want to stay in that regard.
1: No. And I think it's, it's understandable. It's just sad, you know? And I think like, sure. if it is that thing of, of, well, without Buffy why do i need to be here you know i i can absolutely see feeling that in his situation but i think that's that's wrong that's like his he his reason to be there wasn't just as you know with Buffy as the connector but he was a member of the team you know and i think like that's not appreciating the place that he had He's not appreciating sure. his own place in the in the group,
0: sure, um, and that may know. be absolutely right, maybe he's not appreciating that <laughs> like and that and that happens sometimes that people don't appreciate those sorts of roles that they have or or
2: right.
0: you know that they could have if they mm-hmm. wanted to accept it.
1: yeah <sighs> yeah. So we've gone a little bit over, but I do want to quick uh, touch on Dawn and Spike, too. Um, Because we are getting a continuation of their relationship and Spike's determination to be her protector. Interesting, too, that Spike is, like, the first one that we see in the episode. He's, like, four... And I know it's, like, okay, he's maybe the strongest, fastest, whatever, but, like when it's the team hunting the vampire, he's the first one. Like, he's not Mm. just, like, forced to be to do this and hanging around in the back or whatever. Like, he's leading the pack in this, you know, fight and everything. Um, And taking his role as Dawn's protector very seriously. Like, there's no... There's no more of the bribery or the strong-arming him into doing them favors anymore. He's... You know, in it a hundred percent, and this is his sort of way to honor Buffy's memory is is to make sure that Dawn is safe. So, yeah, very very rapid changes with Spike that we've seen in the past like year. You know, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. But um
0: No. Yeah, I don't I mean I agree there were there were there have been there's been a big change in spite. You know, and not the first time we've seen someone change. No. Quite a bit in Buffy. So
1: No, but we're still talking about a vampire you know, without a soul, he does have a chip, but uh,
0: right, but that's, not a
1: soul. So you that's know,
0: the question, right?
1: We're, you know, evidence is telling me that you know, change seems to be possible even without you know, uh, the soul there to sort of keep him honest. So um, just interesting. Mm. Okay. Anything that I I mean we talked about the ending with Buffy, so I don't think uh I have anything else to say about it unless you do.
0: No. No. I think uh I think we're good. Cool. Alright. All right. So should we switch
1: over to BSG?
0: Yeah. So all right did you you said you didn't really have any production notes, right so no well,, uh,
1: I mean, since you mentioned it, the only one I really have is to point out the writer uh Tony Graffia, who also wrote Bestial Day, so it's you know just worth noting that it's the same writer, so that's all I have. go ahead,
0: yeah, well, so this episode uh clearly the sort of big conflict, you know, if, if conflict is sort of the name of the, the game here, mm. uh, you know, we have Starbuck and Leobin, um, mm-hmm. providing sort of the main one, but I guess just to even sort of set it up, let's talk real quick about, um, Roslyn and, and Adama, um, mm. where we sort of start off. And, um, Roslyn starts off with, with having these dreams about, mm. um, Leobin specifically. Uh, And she sort of chalks it up to her treatments, right? The Kamala extract.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But, you know, we're sort of left wondering if somehow maybe, you know, she's being sent these dreams or something. Because Mm -hmm. you get, like, Mm -hmm. snippets of... um, of things later that maybe we can talk about sort of when we talk about her and Leobin together, but, um, anyway, so long story short, they, she gets a report from one of the ships in the fleet that there is a Cylon aboard. He's, um, you know, another copy of Leobin, which who, uh, Adama had run into on, um, Ragnar station.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, You know, and had fought there. Um, So I find it interesting that, um, you know, Well, so she calls Adama. And, of course, you know, Rosalind and Adama have differing opinions about how, (laughs) you know, it should be handled. Can't Um,
1: agree on anything.
0: So she wants to have him interrogated.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And Adama's like, no, no good will come of it. Like, he's got nothing to say. We should just chuck him out in airlock. And move on. Mm -hmm. Um, But she gets her way, um, which I'm not clear 100% on. I guess guess because maybe he's on a civilian ship and Mm. technically is a civilian, um, even though he's a Cylon. Like, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: it must not be seen as a military-specific threat, although...
1: Mm. Yeah, the, the rules of what is military decisions are a little...
0: Yeah, lo, it little fuzzy like, at times.
1: Yeah, military decisions are when Adama feels strongly about things. <laughs>
0: yeah, or <laughs> like, when the writers need it a certain way. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> well, I, I, and I feel like that—that that makes like, but for both the writers and Adama, that is the, uh, you know, the 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 catch-all phrase I can use when I want to put my foot down. Mm-hmm. You know, right.
2: Um,
1: this is a right. military decision. Right. Um. um yeah, and, well, you and
0: especially up... since since Rosalind like orders Adama to send a military interrogator. <laughs> like it's like, well. Right. Okay. Whatever. Right. right. Um
1: Um so, yeah. and, and I I wanna mention too that you pointed out her her dreams and I feel like her position that she wants him interrogated seemed to be you know, based on that. that like, okay, I had a dream about this this particular Cylon, and then we find him, like, immediately. And so it seems like, would she have always wanted him interrogated? I don't know, maybe she would, but at least it seems in this instance that's why she feels that's important, is, okay, that might be significant, and he might have something that I'm
0: supposed to hear. Um, So... Um, so, yeah, so Adama chooses Starbuck, um, for whatever reason, I guess she's sort of the toughest and probably least likely to take any shit from anyone. Sure. Um, and, and also, also
1: still injured, so she can't, <laughs> she got nothing to do anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, except that she's working on the, the Cylon Raider that she stole. Yeah, no, that's Um, which seems like an important thing to do, but, um, yeah, I I get the sense that it's more her attitude than her physical, you know, sort of thing, but, um, you know, it could all sort of be working that for whatever reason, Adama chooses her, um, and sort of warns her, you know, about his willingness to like use the truth to tell lies and, and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, and, and not just willingness, but ability to like do so effectively. Mm. Um, so she heads over and we get Starbuck and Leoben. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, well, and it starts off even actually before she even enters a room and just like her sort of, you know, analytical mind, like watching him and, and seeing him sweating and finding that sort of, interesting and mm. wondering about what's you know why that is and and what you know a machine can accomplish by trying to be that human looking uh, and all that um, which you know so we get uh, you know we're talking about with the Buffy bot the cognitive uh, uh, uncanny valley yeah.
2: um,
0: you know here it's sort of The opposite, like there, there is, there doesn't seem to be an uncanny valley, like, at all. So, Mm -hmm. um, Starbuck is sort of looking for the things that are not quite human, but, but it's those, it's all the things like the sweat and the hunger and, you know, the inability to breathe underwater and the ability to feel pain without turning it off. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things that, um you know, she keeps looking for the the little things that, like, don't seem to work quite right, and they're mm-hmm. not, they never sort of come about, right? Right. Um,
1: yeah, and um, it's kind of interesting how she makes that explicit in, as, like, an interrogation technique and a way to test him by saying, yeah. like, yeah. like, I, I, by kind of pointing that out, I'm presenting you with this kind of dilemma of, like she says, you, you know, you either have to, if you, if you want to prove to me that you really are human, which is what you are trying to get me to believe, then you have to fully act like one, which means like suffering through all this stuff and telling her the truth because he can't help it because he's put under torture and everything. Um, Whereas, if he does, like, the smart thing, which is to, like, turn off his pain and suffering, you know, and, you know, but then that makes him the machine that he wants to deny that he is. So, you you know, she kind of sets him up this little paradox where neither option is really good, um. you know, and yeah. just to kind of see, you know... A see which of those he'll choose, and then b hopefully that gets him to tell her what it is that she wants to hear and everything
0: right um but then there's also the 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 it, it's funny because he he mentions like uh you know how he you know why why does he need sweat, why does he need to be hungry and all you know all that sort of stuff and it's you know, it's because he's, you know, that's what humans do, right? Mm. Like that's, uh, you know, whatever. But then, but then, there's also sort of a. There's sort of the tack that he takes of like, I'm I'm more than human. I'm better mm. than human, right? There's well, one, he says, I am God. You know, like <laughs> yeah. like there's that sort of aspect of it, and you know, is like you wonder, like, is this a sort of like a transcendental or, or like a, you know, like a, a Walt Whitman sort of thing of like, you know, I am, you know, this and that, and all, you know, I'm God because like I'm the epitome of human and that kind of thing. Or is it, you know, there is a sense in which he, you know, talks about like, you know, seeing in the future and sort of living on the banks of a stream where, you know, he's not really part of the stream, but he can see everything going by him and, and all this stuff. And, and so yeah, you he get is the real
1: thing about streams.
0: You, you get the sense of like, he's, you know, that he's, at least he believes that he's, you know, not just, you know, he. it's not just that he can do all these things like sweat and feel pain and feel hungry, you know, to be human, but that there's something about himself and the Cylons in general, right. That have, that has evolved beyond, humanity. Um mm. or at least he believes that he's evolved beyond humanity. Um
2: yeah. Feel like I feel I'm not
0: like, saying it quite as succinctly no, and, and think, clearly as I, I think could. That
1: but, you're right. And one of the things that feels like the most um I don't know if it's the only kind of proof of that, but like one of the main things is like this claim to immortality of, you know, um not only, you know, that he has a soul, which is one kind of immortality, um, which Starbuck doesn't believe that he has, but also that he can't die, you know, that, you know, even if his body is destroyed, his soul will be uploaded to a new body. And so there's this, you know, there's a literal, you know, godliness and indestructibility there of, you know, um you can torture and kill me all you want and I'll win. Um, you can't kill me. And that makes me kind of more than human, you know, or even like divine in a way. Um, but it's interesting to me, like having this right after, um, the, the last one we watched, um, what was it called? Six Degrees of Separation. um, where it's also very, like, God-focused, you know, like, I feel like both of these are very focused on the Cylons' faith, and, you know, their sort of religious beliefs and everything, but I feel like there's difference between the way number six talks about God and the way Leoben talks about God, you know, with her, it, he... I don't get the same mysticism from her that I get from him. Like with, with number six, there's more of the definite, you know, you know, I'm going to force you by whatever means I have to force Baltar, you know, to repent his sins and declare his faith. And, you know, she can use all sorts of different techniques to get him to do that. And she's very definite about everything, you know, there, there is one God and you must declare your belief in him. And, you know, she uses very like almost kind of like puritanical language. Whereas from Leoben, you get all this stuff about, I see patterns and my soul swims in the stream and all this like, kind of like, you know, more, I don't know, uh, mystical spiritualism and everything. Mm-hmm. So interesting to me that, uh, the Cylons are they want to distinguish their faith from the faith of the humans but they don't necessarily treat their faith the same as each other um, which is not to say they don't believe in the same God but they approach it from different sure. ways and I mean even with that Leo Bins fuzzy because he talks about you know there's one God and we pray to him but also like you said he says i'm god and also everybody's god so there's a kind of like right. like you said transcendental kind of pantheism there of like we're all like all of our souls like the everything the universe yeah. all of our energy combined is what god is well,
2: it's Which like, is not uh, exactly
1: monotheistic in the same way that number six seems to be very definitely praying to one God,
0: you know? Right. Well, it's it's like the Emerson, uh, you know, Emersonian idea of, like, the oversoul of, right. you know, where, where like, everything you see is just an aspect of God, but there's right. only one God. It's just, you know, everyone's yeah. sort of a part of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Which, which I agree The the way that six talks about God is definitely more in line with, like you would think of as sort of a, uh, ecumenical Christian, mm. you know, sort of cross denominational, I guess, um, right. approach to God rather than, uh, mm-hmm. idea. Um, um.
1: Another line that jumps out to me, too, with him is... And I think goes with his sort of whole mystical approach is his... Um, to know the face of God is to know madness. So there's this... Sure. For him, there's this equality between his sort of nonsensical babblings and his faith. You know, that... uh, Like, the fact that he's a little bit kooky is, like, <laughs> part of his whole you know spiritual identity and everything mm-hmm. um but that also you can't entirely discount it because when he talks about I see patterns I see the future I see the past he knows some stuff like right like yeah he guesses her call sign and Adama says well there's any there's any number of ways he could have heard and guessed that you were Starbuck but I don't see how you can explain that with him knowing about her past, you know, and her relationship with her mother in particular. Um,
2: sure.
1: I mean, maybe you could find a sort of, if you want to kind of find a rational way to, you know, figure that out. But there seems to be a suggestion that when he says, like, I see the past and the future and patterns in the world, that might be true. Um you know, and he seems to know at least certain things about Starbuck.
0: Well, um, and and then the question of, you know, how can he influence stuff, too? Because, like, again, you know, Rosalind has a dream about him just before she learns that he's been captured, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and like, even even that, uh what does he say, like, you know, I have to tell you something or you know, I need to say something or something like that um, to her in the dream. And then like says the exact same thing to him, to her later, just before he plants the idea that Adama is a Cylon. Right. Um, So, you know, where are those dreams coming from? Like, is that, you know, again, like, is this just sort of a coincidence of, you know, Rosalind happens to in her sort of drugged, cancer treatment state you know is she just happened to be having crazy dreams that sort of fit into what's going on or mm-hmm. is there some sort of premonition that he somehow sent to her mm-hmm. you know in some way because there's also the moment um just as the uh airlock doors are being opened that mm-hmm. he um, sort of flashes and and looks similar to the way he looked in her dream as well yeah Um, so again, like, does that mean anything? I don't know. Like, you know, it's the same sort of question as is head six, you know, external or internal or a bit of both or, you know, what, what's going Mm -hmm. on there? We don't, we don't really get a clear answer to that. And in the same way, we don't really have a clear answer here, but you know, it, it, it lends more mystery to that idea of maybe,
2: yeah.
0: maybe he really can see and not just see, but somehow influence, you know, mm-hmm. different parts of time. Um, well, it makes
1: a link between Roslyn and Baltar, you know, they both have these sure slightly unexplained psychic phenomenon involving yeah. Cylons going on who are giving them secret messages, um, which may or may not be manipulative, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and and also opens the possibility of, okay, the Cylons maybe have this faith in this religion and have a certain amount of, you know, ability or whatever. But, you know, now we have human characters having that too. Like, Rosalind's dream is a premonition, it seems. Like, you know, it, it foreshadows things to come, which is exactly what Leoban said he could do, which is see things that are yet to come. So, so. it's bl- that bleeding into the human characters too. It's not just like, well, the Cylons have some sort of psychic ability. Um, it's like, well, now the president is having these sort of visions as well.
0: So. Um, um, yeah. And so there's definitely a sort of like tone of like, people going mad or or slightly mad in Mm -hmm. in this episode um certainly leobin
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um but even like with Starbucks, like you get sort of at the beginning she's you know very no nonsense you Mm -hmm. know asking sort of crisp questions and refusing to answer any of his questions and all of that but then you know as the episode goes on and she gets angrier and Mm -hmm. and you know gets physically assaulted and and all of that like you know, you sort of see her losing it until at the end where she's just kind of like staring around and then, um, you know, same with Rousin with like the dreams and, you know, stuff going on. And then, you know, sort of her, not that I think she ever gets to either Leo Bin or Starbucks, uh, level, but certainly Mm -hmm. like there's a sense of sort of franticness and, and like the visions and the dreams and stuff with her. Um, so, which is why one of the, uh, episode titles i had suggested but didn't really work from the buffy side of things um was was something anya says of i didn't ask to be all crazy (laughs) um so i mean it works for her in that particular moment but for the rest of the buffy characters doesn't really work that well um so it didn't work too well across the episodes but but i feel like definitely fit enough with bsg of of that idea of people sort of going at least slightly crazy um in their different different aspects um
1: right right and that that being according to leobin uh in some way related to this transcendent point of view you know so to to know the face of god is to know madness well is the reverse true like are the mad more in touch with god you know like i don't know that seems to be his point of view um So, yeah. Um, I'm trying to... I have two other things I want to talk about and I'm trying to decide which of them I want to do first. Um, I want to point out we've been waiting and waiting but we finally get the line about all this has happened before and all this will happen again. Um, Which... Starbucks says don't quote scripture. So, yeah. okay, so this is a line of scripture of of her scripture. You know, this is from the people, from their kind of their colonies religion yeah. of of this is sacred text to her and he's yeah. it's blasphemous for him to sort of, you know, speak it. But um really interesting dialogue and I want to point out because it's a it's a steal from the uh the disney car- cartoon version of peter Pan <laughs> it 's the opening line to Peter Pan is you know all this has happened before, and all this will happen again, which Ron Moore nicked from that um, mm. which I like for a bunch of reasons, one, I like the idea that Peter Pan is scripture that appeals to me um but <laughs> but I like so. If we're thinking of this as in their sacred texts or whatever, it introduces this idea of repeated history, and that there's like Leibniz says, he sees patterns, he sees foreshadowings, and how, you know, there's this cyclical, you know, repetitive aspect to, you know, the the story of the world, I guess, um, you know, and he kind of speculates about you know we each have roles and and the pattern is the same but the roles change so maybe last time I was the interrogator and everything so this idea of like you might bump into each other in different like I don't is reincarnation a thing or or is it just that you are portraying archetypes that you know it's kind of hard to tell like what that means or how literally to take it but this idea that in different situations, you might find yourselves in opposite positions, you know, which I think is interesting with what we've talked about with the characters being always in conflict with each other. It's like this idea of like, well, in another situation, we're still in conflict, but our roles might have reversed. Um, Yeah. You know, which I think we've seen, like there's times where, you know, Rosalind and Adama are butting heads. And then in the ep- next episode, they still butt heads, but might have traded positions based on whatever other factors are going on. Um, so, I mean, obviously, that quote continues to be important. So, wanted to bring that up for sure.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's an iconic sort of. I feel like I hadn't read Peter Pan when I first saw this show, so I didn't even realize that that came from there. But sure, I remember. But
1: I do want to point out it's only from the movie, it's not from the book, it's from the Disney oh, movie. It's from... So it's, it's from that particular version of it so that's ah, worth well, worth mentioning
0: well then i i'm a liar because i had seen that yeah but like
1: <laughs> i i mean i haven't seen that movie in so long i yeah. would have never remembered that if I, I hadn't
0: right if i, I hadn't saw it read, as a kid but yeah. yeah okay interesting hmm um yeah anyway so good good for pointing that out um
1: I also did want to, which I think we've talked around it a little bit, but um, I feel like it's worth pointing out explicitly the role of torture in the episode and the fact that it's the hero or the good guy who does that, you know, so this it's not the first morally ambiguous instance in, in the series, obviously, and it's not like the Cylons are innocent. But, you know, you have, it's, you know, the one that we're supposed to be sort of sympathetic to and rooting for, you know, who uses these, you know, tactics and techniques and everything to get her information. So, you know, the, the writer's sort of going out of their way to complicate who you're sort of feeling, you know, empathy for in a given situation. Um. You know, obviously, that being a hot-button topic both then and now, but, um, you know. Sure. Because, like, you know, I don't get the sense when Roslyn and Adama send her there that it's with the express order to torture Leoban. You know, there's this— Sure. Roslyn, I mean, they don't quite say, so there might be some, like— you know, slightly dodgy open-endedness there of, like, we want him interrogated, but also Rosalind seems, you know... You know, surprised with it. It's a little ambiguous as to what they thought would happen here. Um,
0: Yeah, well, and that's... So that's part of the thing with... uh, With, you know, my saying at the beginning, like, it's unclear... You know, from a perspective of like whether this is a military matter or not, mm-hmm. she orders the military to be the one to go interrogate mm-hmm. right so um and also thinking about the time that this this is coming out, right, so we're talking what two thousand four at this point, like
2: yeah you know this that. this is yeah
0: still very close to nine yeah. eleven you know we're in
2: yeah
0: Iraq and Afghanistan and there's all sorts of stories about, you know, waterboarding and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, uh, I I forget the term, but basically where, like, the CIA would use, you know, like, bases in other countries, you know, simply because they weren't on U.S. soil where they could sort of do their nefarious torture right. and, and, you know, interrogation techniques and that sort of thing. I don't... Yeah remember when like Abu Ghraib came out, but like, I feel like it was not that far off of this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 2003. So, you know, we're, we're talking that yeah. sort of, you know, time period when, when lots of stories and, um, information about sort of the tactics that military and CIA and, and, uh, you know, those sort of extra legal, uh, military type things that are going on to torture terrorists and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's being talked about even more so than I feel like is today. Like, I feel like I haven't, you know, even with like Obama sort of promising to shut down Guantanamo and mm. never, never really doing it, at least at this, <laughs> at least at the you know time of this recording, yeah. um, you know, like, you know, stuff like that even doesn't, doesn't really get into, sort of the same post nine eleven atmosphere that we're sort of dealing with here. No, that was very um,
1: topical at the time, yeah. I think. Um, so, so I yeah. feel
0: like there's, there's definitely a lot of that, you know, sort of being played yeah. into here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, it's hard for me to say like Rosalind wouldn't have, like she wants the military to do it, mm. And is the question there just like, is she just being naive? You know, is this, is this naive school teacher, (laughs) Rosalyn? Or is it like, yeah, like you said, like, I'm, I'm going to tell Adama to do it so that like, I can say later, well, I didn't mean, you know, torture. I just meant interrogate. And, but, but. Being intentionally
1: vague. Yeah.
0: Through my vagueness, then, you know, I can sort of, uh, uh you know, remove myself from it. But, yeah, I find it hard to believe that, like, when she walks in, like, why she would be surprised at what was going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but there's also the sense in which, okay, you know, there's a good cop, bad cop thing going on here.
2: Yeah,
0: And, like, had, uh, to use a euphemism, had Starbuck not softened them up a bit, like, would her... You know, would Rosalind's removing of the shackles and uh you know apologizing and being nice have led to the confession? Or did any of that matter anyway? Like right. Leobin was like it seems like by the end there like yeah, Leobin took a lot of crap, but but he, you know, was clearly the one in control sort of
2: yeah
0: most of the time. Like we saw that he Broke his handcuffs and threw the table and grabbed. Yeah. Like at any moment, he probably could have he broken could have those sh- yeah. shackles yeah. and like grabbed Rosalind's neck and maybe he would have died before he killed her or maybe not. Like,
2: right?
0: You know, so we get the sense that he was really the one in control there. Um, which brings up the question of then when Roslyn, you know, throws him out the airlock, like Adama had suggested they do immediately in the beginning anyway. Mm -hmm. Could he have gotten out of that? Like, Mm -hmm. did he just, did he let them like, Mm -hmm. and, and I get, I think Starbucks, right. When she says he's not scared to die. He's scared that he won't make it all the way to God. But, you know, you do get the sense of like, if he was scared enough of that, even he could have chosen not to die, sure. like you know like that that he was he probably powerful definitely. enough yeah. and and yeah, yeah, could have played right, like I mean at the very least, he could have not said Adam is a Cylon, you know to Rosalind. so right. anyway, all of that to just sort of say, like I feel like he's the one sort of in control the whole time, and so on the one hand, like even though Starbucks like torturing him and and Roslyn's sort of initially. Looking the other way, and then you know ultimately just shoves him out the a-lock anyway, like <laughs> none of that really matters in a sense because mm-hmm. like he's sort of allowing it all and expecting it all if if yeah. if he's whether he can see the future or not, he seems to be expecting what's going to happen to him
1: yeah, I don't think he's surprised the way Starbuck is when Roslin gives that order, which um.
0: Which also, which then, like, you can take that a step back further, you know, is the whole reason that he was caught to begin with, because he revealed himself. Like, he's clearly been hiding among them for weeks, like, even after they released pictures, right? Right. Like, he was still on that ship, Mm -hmm. presumably, or one of the ships, presumably, you know, so was this, like, just a well-timed thing overall, just like shelly appearing is a well-timed thing and the second copy of doral appearing to blow himself up was you know sort of like like you have now like three cylons who've sort of appeared you know quote out of the blue but who have been there all along Mm -hmm. presumably so um and shelly presumably still is somewhere like nobody's found her yet right we haven't and and we haven't had a uh massive like send out her picture like we have with the other two so right. who knows who else might still be out there right
1: right right yeah and yeah I, I like that you point out too like you know Roslyn's uh, that makes sense to me the kind of good cop bad cop you know thing because like Rosalind you know so manipulative like I, you do get that sense of her you know, her kindness and her sort of, you know, we'll, I'll treat you with humanity and respect and, you know, and we can trust each other. That's all. And then shove you, know, you out the airlock. Whether whether or not Leobin bought that, that was her, that was a ruse. That she, you know, that was intended to get him to open up a little bit. And that, yeah, yeah, shove him out the airlock was always going to be where this ended. So... If she was at all, you know, uh, if there was any part of her that was bothered by Starbucks techniques, then, you know, there's a a slight hypocrisy there of, you know, her, you know, is it okay to, you know, kill machines but not to torture them, you know? Um, And, you know, or do we agree whether he is a machine or not? You know, nobody's really... Sure anymore um yeah and like this inaugurates to the air locking as like an execution method you know <laughs> like which is like a thing in the fleet you know like this is you know I, i've seen people at times refer to her as Madame airlock like mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you know that's kind of the off this is the bsg equivalent of off with their heads like you know, that's her kind of, you know, her executive order and everything, which I think it's the first time that's happened where it's just been, you know, okay, out the airlock. So yeah. Um, Yeah. Uncomfortable because it, it, you know, it's easy to condemn torture and capital punishment when it's, you know, bad guys, but, you know, it's Starbuck and Rosalind who are, you know, so I think it's intentionally, not only are these obviously hot button issues in 2004, but we're going to put them in the hands of the people you're supposed to be sort of rooting for, Um, and kind of, you know, forcing you to grapple a little bit to the extent of which those things are Justified or sympathetic, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: Hmm. I feel like we've gone a bit all over the place, which is
0: fine.
1: I'm trying to think of what we might have missed.
0: Well, there's still, like, the other characters, so I, I don't know anything... I mean, I think we've covered Starbuck and Bin and Rosalind and Adama even. Um, mm-hmm. But sure. so we should talk about Boomer. Mm. Um, like <laughs> the whole like caressing the Cylon ship while she's like humming and like what. And then, uh, you know, her conversation with Tyrell. Um, you know, it's hard to tell. Right. Is this is this like is she really there for Tyrrell? Is she really there to, like... Is there some sort of, like, subconscious or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, thing pulling her... Drawing her to the ship?
1: To the raider, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe a little of both, you know, yeah, like...
2: Yeah,
0: uh, But, you know, the long and short of it is, um, like, she jokes about being a Cylon, which, of course, we know she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's like, is this... Is this, like, the underlying Cylon programming, like, having a little fun kind of thing? Or is this, like, right,
2: right. you
0: know, just her being petulant or whatever? Um, but then she asks if, you know, if she were able to prove it, would it change, you know, things between the two of them? Um, yeah. Which, okay, so how do you prove you're not a Cylon? Well, let's go to the guy who's rumored <laughs> to be making a Cylon detector. Um, so she does. Um, yeah. Which, you know, kind of funny because, like, all along we've been getting Baltar's sort of like, no, no, not do it. I'm going to do it, not going to do it, you know, this and that. But turns out he, like, seems to have done it. Like, he can totally do it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he ended up creating this Cylon detector. And <laughs> lo and behold, he detected a Cylon. The yeah. very, very first one. Yeah. It's uh, a... Yeah. Uh, you know, positive result.
1: Yeah. Um, Much to his own chagrin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. And then you get head sick sort of whispering into his ear, like, well, now if you tell her that she's a Cylon, let's see. Hmm. I wonder how she's going to react. Is she going to be surprised? Is she going to kill you? (laughs) Like what's going on? And so he, he chooses to lie.
2: Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Which is a nice way of addressing the question of like, why doesn't he expose Boomer? Mm -hmm. And I like that for Baltar, self-preservation is always going to trump the good of the many. You know, like sure, like oh, yeah, okay. It 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 you would seem like it's in his own interest to expose her to the authorities and say, like, I detected a Cylon, but the immediate threat of her, you know, or or one of the other Cylons, then him becoming a target of sabotage or assassination or something is is a little bit too much so it's better to just sweep it under the rug and so we now have a, a workable usable Cylon detector that he will refuse to actually use in the proper way um, so yeah yeah and yeah. her thing of and his thing of you know it's green. It's very bright green. It couldn't mm-hmm. be more green, you know, like... Right. Totally over, overcompensating. Um, and her being totally nervous because she can see he's, like, flustered and, you know... Um, you know, she, for a second... You know, the part of her that kind of maybe deep down is really worried about this and maybe knows something's going on, like, she's waiting for that confirmation... Um. You know, right? You know, she says I was nervous. What you were gonna say? Like, there was a big part of her that thought he was gonna say it was red. You know, right, right.
0: Yeah, and again, there's always that question of, does she really know? And she's just really good at pretending. Hmm. Um. You know, is, she, you know, just like Sharon obviously knows. You know, down with Hilo. Yeah. Obviously, already knows. Um, and pretends with him, or is there something different about her specifically, her specific model of blocking whatever knowledge she might have? Um, I mean,
1: I kind of go with that. Like, I don't think we've seen any evidence so far that she has conscious awareness. Like, uh, inklings, hunches, denial, yeah. But, like, I don't think we've had any scenes... Like what we've had with the other Sharon, where she's awake and conscious and knows what she is and has like an objective, like everything with the boomer on Galactica, it seems to be that it's repressed somehow, and she might be she might know on some level, but you know I think there's a lot of. Relief there, like genuine relief when he says it's green, that like that just, that proved so much to her. All these things I've been worried about, that was stupid. I should never have worried about it now. Okay, put that behind us. And maybe I can get back to my real life with, you know, and maybe even get Tyrell back or something.
0: Hmm. So. Sure. Yeah, I mean... Sure. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um so speaking of Hilo and Sharon, um mm-hmm. again, like we're getting their story bit by bit. Um Sharon goes off while Hilo's like asleep or whatever and reports in to six and noral and then comes mm-hmm. back and um the, you know, she tells him about her sex life and they're like, right. okay, well go go get him to fall in love with you some more, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's all good. Um, with the new thing being that if she can't, then she is to kill Hilo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um Also, the revelation that they see Sharon as different mm. right from them, too, which... So, you know, if if Boomer... You know, and Sharon, they're, you know, copies of the same model, right? Um, you know, maybe maybe that gives credence to what you just said, the fact that Six and Doral see the other Sharon. Like, is this something, is this a trait of all the Sharon models that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're more human, mm-hmm. maybe, or closer to being human than the other Cylon models are? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. but that seems to be the implication. At least, uh, it, you know, the question is whether it's specific to that one individual, right. you know, copy, or whether that's a feature of, or or bug, or whatever you want to call it, right. of, yeah. of all the Sharon models.
1: Yeah, 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 and um, you know, you mentioned too, like the order to okay, if you can't get him to to stay with you, then just. You know, take care of him. The emphasis there being that it it seems like uh, her triumph was okay, like we had sex. So that was sort of, if not the end goal, at least an important aspect of her mission. And okay, him actually staying with her is sort of secondary. Like it's good if he does, but if he doesn't, you can just kill him because it's better than have him leave you or run off somewhere else. Um, but, like, the, the the coupling is that, you know, seems to be more important than, like, they're actually staying together, you know, for the future or whatever. Um, so, although his love seems to be somewhat important, like, she's kind of smug when it's like, does he love you? Yes, I think so. You know, like, she's kind of proud of herself that, you know, She's got him to be, you know, attached to her and everything. Um, So, yeah. Hmm. And I I like, too, that as number six is talking about how, oh, Sharon is more human and she acts more human, she's like swinging on the swings. (laughs) It's like something kind of like funny about that.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, well... Indulging and, and in that a, is a so little human n- behavior herself, you know. Right, so
2: nonchalant
0: and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, well, I know uh, we're just coming up on two hour. We went a little over on Buffy, but I don't, I don't know that I have anything else for BSG here. So, any final parting thoughts no. on flesh and bone?
1: No, I think, uh, I think we're good.
0: Cool. All right. Well, we'll be back then with the uh, second part of the Buffy season six premiere and uh, some more BSG next week.
1: All right. See you then.